Hi there, my name is Tim. And my name is Luke. And you are listening to the Recruitment Now podcast. We are passionate about recruiting. Each episode, we share ideas and insights into the world of recruiting from world-class recruiters and researchers. This podcast is for recruiters, HR professionals, and anyone looking to improve their recruitment abilities. All right, today we have Greg Savage on our podcast, on the Recruitment Now podcast. Greg is the founder of Recruitment Solutions, Firebrand Talent Search, People to People, and other recruiting firms. He's also the author of the blog, The Savage Truth, which includes his very popular video segment, 60 Savage Seconds, where he offers straightforward recruiting advice in one-minute-long chunks. This landed him as one of LinkedIn's top voices of 2018. His Twitter feed is full of serious and thoughtful advice on social selling alongside light-hearted commentary. With a career spanning four decades, Greg is now on the board of 14 recruitment and HR tech companies and is a trusted advisor and respected voice across the global recruitment and professional services industries. He is also a regular keynote speaker at conferences around the world. Today, we're going to be chatting with Greg a little bit about personal branding for recruiters, why it's necessary, how it is done well and not so well, and share a few tips for recruiters to be even better at their job. So welcome, Greg. Thank you very much, Tim. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. Awesome. So this is Luke here. I actually discovered Greg a little while back on LinkedIn. Um, I saw a lot of his posts were trending in recruitment and he's pretty blunt, calls a spade a spade. And I think people really like that. So Greg has a really refreshing view on the world of recruitment. And so that's why I thought to invite Greg here today. So Greg, can you maybe tell us a little bit about how you got started in recruitment? Um, And the reason I ask that is because so many people don't go to school to study recruitment, but kind of trip and fall into it and make an entire career of, uh, out of it. So I'd love to hear how you got started. Well, uh, the way you describe many other careers uh, is very similar to my own entry to the profession. The only thing I would add is that I started as a 21-year-old straight from university. So I'd done a degree, I'd done an honours degree in psychology and economics. This was 40 years ago. Wrap your head around <laughs> don't that. Don't give it right? away. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. 16 years before the internet was invented uh, and a long time before Luke was born, no doubt. But uh, <laughs> the recruitment industry wasn't even understood by me or most people, to be honest with you. It was a very low profile industry. My sister, in an attempt to get me a job, lined up a meeting with a friend of hers, dad, who ran an executive search firm. And he, he gave me a very thorough interview. I was 21. And he said these words, he said, Greg, uh, you don't have any skills, experience, or really qualifications that any of our clients would be interested in, but you seem like a likely likely lad, would you like to be an executive search consultant? Literally, how it happened. And I started with this small search firm. It was national, but in in the city I was in, there's only eight of us. I was 21, the next youngest executive search consultant was 46. So it was... um, it was a very, but, but it, I'm very grateful for it. Not only getting me into recruitment, which I've been in all those decades, but it was a search firm. So they sold retainers and they sold in what we called in those days, client paid advertising. You know, this was prior to the internet. So all the jobs were in the paper. But if you wanted to really hire a senior person, you'd run a display ad in the news section, might cost $3,000. And by the way, as a sort of benchmark, my salary was 10000 So we were selling retainers. The, the process, and it taught me the value of what we do. And, and, and that has held me in good stead as our industry has become more commoditized. And as um, many, many recruiters are quite happy to work on a job in competition with eight recruiters, et cetera, 
I, I, in all my businesses, I've really tried to push it the other way and work with you know, maybe less people, but in a better partnership way. So that's how I got into, into recruitment. It was three years there. I, I, won't, I won't give you my, my resume, but it was interesting that three years later, I went to travel as 25-year-olds might do, ended up in London and got a job with accountancy personnel, which was the forerunner to Hayes. Hayes bought that business to get into recruitment. And that was the complete opposite. It was high street, fast. We interviewed people at our desk. We, we, we got candidates interviews over the phone before we'd even told them about the job. That was standard. And we were making three or four places, permanent places, a week. Whereas uh, in my search business, if we did a good one a month, it was a celebration. So the first five years were those opposite ends of the spectrum, which was, a, as it turns out, an extra, excellent sort of grounding for what was to come. And and um, it's it sounds like you had you you were put in the deep end there uh, right from the first job. What would you say it was that uh, got you to really stand out and excel and exceed, uh, despite not having all the experience and the skills? I would uh, look describe myself as a good recruiter, not great. There's, I've, I've hired many recruiters better than me. Uh, I was good though, better than most, uh, which you know you might argue doesn't take much. <laughs> But I, I, I would say that uh, the success I had was while I'm going to, and I need to temper this, while I was terrified a lot of the time, I was brave. And, and I think courage is a very important thing in business. And I learned very quickly to, I don't want to use the word bluff, but ask a lot of questions, get the client talking, get the candidate talking before I showed my card, so to speak. Uh, because if you blunder in, uh, short on knowledge, you make a fool of yourself. So I think I think courage was an important thing, and I think I learned something that has held me in good stead over the many decades, and a lot of recruiters need to go back to, and that is influencing skills. You need to remember what do you think was on my desk the day I started in recruitment in 1980, Luke? There were three things. What do you think they were? There was probably a telephone, the yellow pages, and a newspaper. Yeah, pretty good. There was a telephone. Of course, it was a landline. There's no mobile phones for 20 years. Uh, there was the yellow pages that was in the top drawer. Uh, there mm-hmm. was a pad of paper on the desk, and the third thing was an ashtray because <laughs> everyone smoked at their. I kid you not, everyone smoked at their desks in those days. Not me, wow. them, but but everyone smoked, and, and and so did all the typing ladies, and they were all ladies because that was you know this is very different uh, different era. So um, I think the thing that I learned now you must remember in a world where when you took a job you almost ordinary always took it face-to-face, not in a London experience, but mm-hmm. always took it face-to-face. And if you wanted to give a, ca- a client a resume, imagine this, the only way you could get it to him or her was to post it or send it around by a very expensive career. As a result, your influence, you know, we did a lot of stuff over the phone and, and, and influencing skills, creating outcomes for the, for the greater good was something I learned uh, that holds me in good stead. But creating that influence verbally versus uh, email or some some other yeah. thing. Well, I'd, I'd argue, Tim, that you, you've got uh, you've got snowballs chance in hell of, of really influencing someone via an email. And that's an interesting thing you just said because only, well, look, I, I like to say it was a week ago. It wasn't. It was almost a year ago. I, I was looking over this. I, I spent a lot of time in recruitment company. Every day I go and sit in a recruitment company. Uh, and... Um, I'm a shareholder of several, I'm a founder of a few, and I'm on the board of a number, and I just love to be amongst the recruiters. I don't go and sit in the office or whatever, I sit in a, in a, in a side office, I sit with them, and I was looking over the shoulder of a recruiter, and she was on paragraph 16 of writing an email to convince a candidate to go for an interview. 
And I was saying to her, why did you find this person? Her response was, I don't want to interrupt their busy day. That, that revealed a lot. That revealed she didn't have a partnership relationship with a candidate. But also, also revealed that she didn't understand that, that that 16 paragraph email is also an interruption, but one that has very little chance of creating the outcome you want. So yes, the telephone and face-to-face still have a very powerful place in our business. Don't get me wrong, we can talk about technology as well. And you know, I'm very, very clear that our industry is going to be affected by AI, machine learning, et cetera. But the point of that is, and this is, you know, just to pick up the point of influence, automation will take massive parts of the recruiter job away. The part that machines can do better than people and, and re- owners of recruitment companies and, and people in the talent acquisition should embrace that. We should get technology to do the stuff that can be better than, done better than we can do. But the point is, what do you do with the freed up time that you now have? And, and, and so therefore the skills of the recruiter around influencing, advising, consulting, acting as an agent for the talent, for the candidates, all those things that most commoditized recruiters don't actually do, that will be where the value is. For me, it's a stroke of good fortune because when I started in recruitment, that was the only thing we had. We didn't have any of the technology to get in the way of the process. As a sim- uh, so, similar um, example to yours, yeah. Greg, uh, a few years ago, I took over a recruitment team for a large company brought in as a talent acquisition manager and uh, one of the recruiters he refused to use his phone period he would only email candidates which uh that lasted a few weeks and he refused to change and he ended up quitting shortly before i fired him but he absolutely believed me no i don't talk to candidates i only email them which was so bizarre to me i'm like what am i paying you for your job is to talk to candidates exactly exactly that's such an interesting story because it 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 just shows the mindset of and i don't like to use generations as an excuse because there's plenty of recruiters older who've also fallen back into these ways but there is a a tendency to think that we can do everything via digital we hide behind the e-wall so to speak of course there's a place for digital communications in fact i'm i reckon recruiting companies while i said what i've said need to embrace uh, automated marketing technologies and a great story that happened. This did happen the other day. One of my one of my companies um, were very proudly talking about the chatbot that they had installed on their website. Yeah, chatbots and, are becoming really popular now. Yeah, and and I think there's a great place for them. In this particular story, that the listen to this: the candidate can choose when he comes onto or she comes onto the uh, website for apply for a job. Do I want to speak to a human being or a chatbot? Here's the incredible thing: the majority chose the chatbot. Now, this company was screening, is screening a thousand candidates a week. They've got like 120 consultants. And they found that over six months, instead of a thousand phone, uh, telephone conversations, it was reduced to 250 because the chatbot was doing the initial screening and screening a lot of people out. Like the first question was, do you have a visa to work in this country? And that certainly helps clean out the volume. But here's the, the interesting thing is when, when the CEO said at the board meeting, we've reduced phone conversations by 750 a week chatbot's doing a great job. I asked the awkward question, what are the consultants doing with the extra time they now have? Because it's 300 hours of extra time in our business. Mm-hmm. And everyone just looked at me and there was silence. And I said, well, that's the issue, isn't it? Because we, we mustn't be celebrating the technology just because it saved time. We've got to be celebrating the value we've created with that extra time. So can we not get our consultants who now have 300 hours across the business to go and speak to some more candidates and sit in front of some more clients and uh, you know, engage with people because that's the value. So that's okay. how I think about it. Let's talk a little bit about branding for recruiters. Um, and maybe this is a perfect point because they now have 
300 extra hours to do that. Why, why do you think personal branding is important for a recruiter? Many, many reasons, of which I'll just uh, highlight a few. Mm-hmm. The first is that there is a, an epidemic of lack of trust in all institutions. Right? I mean, you guys are sitting in a part of the world where there's not full trust in the government. There's not trust in this country in government. There's not trust in banking institutions. For recruiters, where would you say there's the mistrust? Between the recruiters and who? Well, between the recruiters and candidates and the recruiters and clients. Mm-hmm. Both, there is a need to build trust. And, and so people are sick of being finessed with slick marketing messages. And the other aspect is that recruiters generally, and, and this is, you know, recruiters, any recruiter listening to this who doesn't know what I'm about to say, I'll be very surprised. We are not a loved profession. And um, we are sometimes unfairly tarnished with the same brush. We're not necessarily believed. And there's a huge criticism that all recruiters are the same. I mean, how many times have clients said that? You're all the same. I can't differentiate. Mm-hmm. So branding does a few things for you. It differentiates you in a crowded marketplace, and I can go into some details to how you would do that. Um, but it also creates credibility. Why are you? Have I met you two guys? Never met you before. Hadn't even heard of you until this. That's but you true. contacted me. Yeah. You contacted me. Why did you contact me? You have a strong personal You're brand. You thought, from what you'd seen on blogging, video, whatever it might be, that I might be somebody who knew a little bit about recruiting and be good for your show. But that mm-hmm. was a brand that you were actually engaging with. And you didn't know me, but you, you backed that I was going to be credible. Right? Well, that remains to be seen, obviously, but that, that's what the brand did. And it can do that for a recruiter. The third thing is, um, so we had uh, authenticity, thought leadership, differentiation. It allows you to engage with, with, what, with my definition of social selling, which it allows you to create online conversations which can be converted to in real life conversations. And in, in a world where you still have so many owners of recruitment companies saying to their staff, make 100 cold calls a day, and they make 100 cold calls of which 99 go to voicemail, and, 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 then, and then the owner says, let's make 150 tomorrow. That is a senseless um, activity. So, and, and what we need to do is, yes, we do need outreach. We do need to do business development. We are in a sales profession. But why not warm the call by having a brand that people might recognize? So those are some of the reasons, Luke, that I think it's critically important. So now, now that we know why personal branding is really important, what would you say are the absolute golden rules for building a personal brand like that? Um, what does it take? How would a recruiter go about achieving a strong personal brand that actually helps them in the recruitment function? Okay, let's break that into two into two sections. I think it's a very important question. The first is I'll give you some generic sort of uh, seven-point or eight-point strategy that somebody could, could follow, but it'll be quite high level. And then remind me, to, I'm sure you will, to actually say, to answer what a recruiter could do today to get started. Mm-hmm. The first thing I need to emphasize uh, is our industry is famous for short-termism. Right? There isn't anyone in the world, I imagine, who has said these words more than me. How many placements have you made this month? How many job orders? Have you, how many client visits are you doing this week? I've, I've run recruitment business for 30 years or more. I've said that a million times. Unfortunately, um, when it comes to brand, you have to take a long-term view. 
And an organization that's trying to shift its, its team to become more um, conscious of brand and social selling has to understand that it's like going to the gym. I can't go to the gym three times for one week and say, I'm now fit, job done. It's a long-term, consistent activity. Yeah, I think, the con- I think the consistency is very important. It's not just the once-off. It needs to be every single week, every day. So, so jumping, jumping ahead to, to the part where I said I was going to give you details, I'll just give you a flavor of it. I, I have a status update, or I haven't had for 10 years, a status update on, on LinkedIn every day, every day of the week. Um, and I'll come back to that. But that's what I talk about consistency. I tweet 15 times a day. Wow. According, according to my blog, now a lot of them are scheduled. I'll come back to all of that. According to my blog, I've just written my 500th blog. So for 10 years, every week I've been blogging. So when you say, well, that's like long-term view. Mm-hmm. But the rewards of that are, I'm going on a speaking tour loop next week to the UK, and the three locations, the three cities we are speaking in, are sold out. How weird is that? I'm an unemployed ex-recruiter from Australia. I can go to the UK <laughs> or any other country I've tried, and, and it will sell out because of brand. It's not because I'm clever or special in any, in any way at all, but, but those people have been following my content. They may even come to previous talks or whatever, and, and so they're prepared to spend money to do that. So it's a long-term view. It's consistent. It's a content marketing strategy, basically, by another name, with a bit more added to it. So quality content is the key. You, 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 you can't just say, I'm going to pump out nonsense or low-level stuff. There's so much competition for people to read material. On the, I mean, we, we all now routinely just delete stuff out of our inbox. We, we're very selective about what we watch on Facebook and other things because we don't have that much time to watch it all. So quality content is the key. And, and, and the thing about that is you've got to speak to your audience. So the content you put out must be relevant to your audience. So if you're placing quantity surveyors in the north of England, you've got to have content that's, content that's interesting to quantity surveyors in the north mm-hmm. of England. And so it's targeted content, and it's not what... If you go onto any recruitment agency's blog, they're blogging about interview tips, and they're blogging about how to dress for interviews. I guess there's a place for that, but done to death. And it's not really what candidates are interested in. They're interested in something uh, that, that, that is an insight that's relevant to their jobs. What I so think there's marketing, the audience- basic marketing could be for the recruiter is go to your candidates, you know, the people you do place and say, hey, you know, John Doe, what would be interesting to you if I were to post? Oh, t- totally. So I think, I think that's another reason why we, I mean, even if you ask a candidate that, you're getting the information and, 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 and an interesting could be, you've been a contractor for our company, through our company for five years, you're a professional contractor. Why do you like that lifestyle? Well, that's an article right there, right? That's an interesting article. Why a person chooses not to take a permanent job, and you know that could be interesting. But it also builds a relationship with that person. So absolutely, you also have to build an audience. So it's, it's, you know, my, my my favorite saying on that is, you know, if you've got great content but you don't have a following, then it's like putting on a theater in an empty, in a, putting on a play in an empty theater. It might be great, but who knew, you know? Because no one's seeing it. So you have to have built an audience. What do you recommend to build that yep. audience for recruiters who have zero following? So uh, let's take Twitter. Mm-hmm. First of all, and, and these rules will apply to, to most, but first of all with Twitter, uh, you've got to get your 
your profile looking good, start at the very beginning. A good picture of your face is, is, is a good start, not a picture of your kitty cat or your baby, <laughs> not a picture of you, not a picture of you in your wedding dress, not a picture of you drinking a beer on the beach in Bali, not a picture, not the logo of your football team. Yeah. And, and you know, you might think I'm being trite. I'm not. I, I, I have 58,000 followers on Twitter. So I've seen every kind of, um, uh, profile. If you want to be taken seriously, now you can do that on your Facebook page, you do whatever you like. But if you're using Twitter or LinkedIn or Instagram for building a brand, you start with a good profile. The second thing is you start putting out good content. But the third thing is you start to connect, in the case of Twitter, follow influential people and mm -hmm. people who you want to follow you back because about a third will. So you follow 500 a week, literally, but targeted. targeted. So that's a very conscious effort to grow a following not only by content and having a long-term strategy and view of your personal brand, but being very active daily uh, to engage with other people in the same platform. Oh, Greg, do you think that strategy works? It's not, I know LinkedIn is a different network, but sending blind connection requests on LinkedIn, you know, it's a good question. You, you'll note I wasn't talking about LinkedIn. I know, but I was just wondering, does I'm that sure. principle still apply to LinkedIn? I'm curious to hear your thoughts there. I, I, I don't think you should blindly connect with someone on LinkedIn. Okay. I'll, come, I'll come on to LinkedIn. So with, with, so with Twitter, people will follow you back. You need to um, be just, just finishing off. Um, I'll come back to your answer soon. But just finishing off the building brand sort of, uh, I've talked about long-term view. I've talked about consistent quality content. Build an audience, which, which, which I will enlarge on. But then you've got to speak to your audience. In other words, put out content that's relevant to them. The biggest tip I can give people on building a brand is generosity. Most people go onto social media thinking and saying even, what can I get? You need to go on there saying, what can you give? What can you give? Good content, be kind, be, be, share, retweet other people's material, answer questions. And that is how you build a brand as well as following people. And, and, and two final points, you mustn't finesse who you are. You need to be authentic. Um, the biggest lesson I've I get, I get it often, is people will say to me, I love your blog, and I'll, and I'll go, oh, great, thank you. And then they'll say, I don't actually agree with much of what you say, but I know it's what you truly think, and I value that. It's your real opinion, and you say it in your own words. You, you speak in the blog the way you speak in real life, they tell me. And, and so authenticity is absolutely key. And the final thing is engagement. So you do this, all this work, and you put out your content, but you've got to take every opportunity to engage. So if someone shares your tweets or, or likes your post, you thank them and you engage in a conversation. That brings it to life. Coming back to, to your question specifically, Tim, um, I think you need a hook for a reason to connect to someone. So, so these are the message, I think, which might be, hey, I loved, I loved seeing you talk at the conference last week. I'd love to connect you know, or something. Even it doesn't have, you may not have had that opportunity, but it could be, I, I, I really enjoyed your blog on XYZ. I'd like to connect. Um, yeah, for sure. On LinkedIn, think... it's not about collecting followers, but really fostering a network of people you really can connect Correct. with and exchange some mutual value, Correct. right? Correct. So it's very, it's very different. So I think you're broadcasting informa uh, your, your information on Twitter, as an example, but you also engage. And the same applies to, to LinkedIn. But in LinkedIn, um, you know, what I, what I recommend there to, what you, you can build your following, sorry, your connections on LinkedIn in real life too. I mean, it amazes me how many recruiters will go and meet a client, take a job order, come back, work it, or, or meet a client, have a good meeting, 
and then they won't follow up with a connection request. Mm-hmm. You, you need to connect. You need to, as the last thing you say to the client of the lift is, thank you for your time. I'm going to send you a LinkedIn connection. Are you okay with that? He'll say yes. You'll send it, and 99% chance you get the yes. Same with every candidate, because you want those people. Now, your company's got its ACS and its CRM, and, and, and it will do what it will do. But you, you, will, you have a personal connection with those people, and once they're connected to you, if you're putting out good content every day or every week, they're going to keep you top of mind. They're going to build an image of you. They're going to interact with you. They're also going to share your stuff, which, as you know, ends up in the feed of their connections who are likely to be the sorts of people you want to know now greg coming back uh earlier you're saying the kind of content that you put out there you want to be very authentic and and you say that you've managed to put it out there exactly the way you would speak in a conversation like you are with us today um i was Mm -hmm. once advised to to be very comfortable with polarizing my audience and i think it's something that i've seen you manage to do really well because sometimes it's required to say things that you might even think will get you in trouble because it's put out publicly um, how do you how do you feel about that? Is it is it okay, or, or are you consciously trying to polarize the audience because at least that way you have at least half of the audience is really truly following you, rather than just uh, hearing about nice things. Yeah, I think I think uh, that's a great question, and I think the answer is to actually go out to polarize the audience is is in fact flying in the face of authenticity, because it's a strategy to disrupt via being confrontational or controversial. Mm-hmm. I, I think this, I say to recruiters, you know, you've got to be a little bit careful about somebody like me. I'm 61 years old. I don't really <laughs> care if anyone ever follows me again. You know, I, I wind up my, my whole social thing in a few months, probably, or a year or so. Um, but I still give the advice. You speak, if you wouldn't say it in a client meeting, you wouldn't say it in your feed. So you might say, I think our prime minister is an idiot amongst friends, or you might even say it on Facebook, but you wouldn't say it to a client you just met mm-hmm. because that is uh, far too controversial and you don't know where he stands on that and it's just not a very smart thing to say. So keep a professional Or you wouldn't opinion. say to a client, I, I, I went to the pub on Friday night to watch the rugby and I, I drank 18 beers. <laughs> you might say that on Facebook, but you wouldn't say So no, nor would you say something to a client that was borderline racist, sexist, or anything else, if you, unless you're an idiot. So to summarize that, would you say that you need to be authentic and have your opinion, keep it professional, but don't be afraid to offend if you really believe in your opinion? I, I, I think in the world of recruitment, there, there is nothing you could say that would offend. You get people to disagree, but how, you know, recruitment's a pretty bland sort of thing. How, how are you going to offend someone? You can have a strong opinion, like you could say, I believe no recruiter should do work for a client unless they've been paid a retainer, because that is commitment from the client. That's not going to offend someone, I wouldn't think, but it, you know, you, m- you might get a lot of people saying, that's wrong, you think you should take contingent orders as well. Mm-hmm. That, that's okay, but don't, I think you're trying to educate, you're trying to inform, you're trying to offer insights, uh, and so I would not actively look for a, a fight on social. You almost always lose, because it can get ugly, and trolls will jump in. So I saw this happen recently where a recruiter wrote a very, very silly blog where he compared candidates to animals. Uh, you know, he's talked about categories of candidates. This one's the, um, the bear that hibernates and doesn't call you back, whatever. It was silly. He got criticized. He defended himself for a week online. And, and before long, there were hundreds of people criticizing him 
and and sharing what an idiot he was because everyone's got a you know bad recruiter experience. So picking a fight on social media when you're trying to build a brand is not a great idea. Healthy debate, very good, no problem at all. But don't set out to be provocative. I don't think. No one. We've talked mostly, you know, so far about Twitter, LinkedIn, posting stuff, writing stuff. Um, one thing we've seen over the last couple of years uh, is the rise of video on these social media feeds, especially LinkedIn. It was only a couple of years ago that that was enabled. Um, have you used video on your feeds as well? And wh what do you think of using video as a way to brand yourself? I use a lot of video. I have a whole um, sub blog called 60 Savage Seconds, yeah. and there must be 50 or 61 minute videos out there. What's been the response and to those? Interestingly enough, I think it actually attracts a new audience for me. I think my old fans, so to speak, will, will watch it, and they do. But I think there's a, there's a whole population of people who prefer to consume their content in video, and they'll do it on the bus, etc., with the earphones in and what have you. And that's how they like to consume it. So the response has been very positive. And the other thing I've found, interestingly enough, those videos, and there are other, I, I have longer videos as well that are maybe snippets from speeches I've given, whatever. People have told me they use them in their staff training courses. You know, one guy wrote to me the other day and said, every Wednesday we, we do, uh, we take one of your savage 60 seconds, whatever it's called, and we, we have a debate about it. So that, that means, you know, by implication, I'm being held up there in that company as an authority because they, 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 they debate whatever point I was making. Now, do you think, so I think look, it's been very strong. Do you think looking forward, you know, if you can predict the future, none of us can, I know, but looking forward into 20, you know, the rest of 2019, 2020, do you think video will be a critical part of personal branding? online do you think it'll be necessary i think it's a i think it's a critical part of it now yeah. oh critical i think it's a highly influential and important part because it allows you to to uh to deliver content in a very authentic way and for people to get a better idea of your personality and, and i think it's very important yeah and i think it will become increasingly so i think people will, will consume video and, and look to see video for video of, of people they they follow it Greg, there there's, seems to be a bit of a reputation or a culture or a lot of churn and burn in recruitment with recruiters moving between firms or even quitting their careers to move on to something else. So what would be the key differentiator for a recruitment firm to ensure not only that their recruiters are providing a quality service and that uh, customers will be loyal, but that their staff will also be loyal? That is a question that has a number of aspects to it. First of all, let's, uh, let's accept the fact, because it is indeed a fact, that recruitment companies, for all its irony, are very poor at hiring recruiters. Hmm. Uh, Interesting. They don't, they, don't, they, are, uh, they, they don't assess the true competencies uh, required. They, they hire people from other agencies without doing the due diligence and checking why they've left four agencies in four years. We think that their home is going to be the right home, and it seldom is. So it starts with recruitment companies hiring the right fit. The second thing is, and this plays more into your question, is training, coaching, and development is retention. One thing that hasn't changed in the workplace in all those years is people still want to grow, to learn, develop. And so... Bringing a recruiter in, giving them two or three weeks training, getting up to a level of basic competence, throwing them on the phones, and then expecting that you've got any long-term chance of retaining that person 
is not is not sensible. So it's training, it's development. What, what the, the, the the key planks to to retention in a recruitment company are no different than any other company. Are the right people in the first place, onboard and train them for life. And it's not only training, it's coaching, it's skills development. The recruitment industry is changing, so we should be coaching our recruiters on the new skills, like building a brand. Uh, I, I, I see recruitment companies say, we're now going to support our recruiters to build a brand. Here's our blog, here's this, away you go, guys, do it. That's not going to work. You actually have to coach people and bring them on the journey. And um, the third or is the fourth thing I'm up to is to provide the recruiters with an infrastructure that supports them to succeed. So if your infrastructure is, here's the phone, here's some lists, start calling, very low, very low chance of anyone surviving that. So you really need to set them up for success. You need yeah. to. That means, um, you know, feeding them. No matter your internal commission structures, etc., feeding them some jobs so they can get uh, get going. They can learn. You get going. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and giving them the right technology. You know, you, operating with an ancient ATS that that doesn't serve purpose uh, is not going to help. So it's it's a combination of factors, but most of the right person in the first place, onboarding, training and coaching, support mechanisms, and 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 feeding them success breeds success, right? And, and many times that person in a, in a recruitment company can feel actually isolated from where they start. That's not the way to, to um, ensure success. Well, that's, that's really good um, advice to keep recruiters doing a good job. What would you say mm-hmm. is the, the key differentiator to keep uh, customers, to, to help customers become loyal customers? What, what, what is, differentiates a staffing firm who just has customers versus one who has really loyal customers? So we talk about transactional and commoditized recruitment. And um, there are two parties to blame for that. The, the one is the recruiter who doesn't sell their value to the client. And the other is the client who, who themselves think they're going to get better service by giving the job to five people and they, five agencies. And they treat the agencies just as a bank of resumes. The answer to your question is, if the recruiter has the skill and the credibility, and that's an important word, to convince the client to work in a partnership mode, they will keep that, that customer long term. As long as, as long as you deliver. At the end of the day, you've got to deliver. So what I really do, put that in pure English. Client indicates they want to fit a job. Okay, I'll give you an example. I was in the UK talking to a group of 50 recruiters in a room, same company, and I asked them this question. If you get an email from a client with a job description attached to it, and the one sentence in the email says, can you help me fill this job, what is the first thing you would do? That's what I said. And there was silence. Mm-hmm. And then one guy spoke and said, sorry, Greg, we... That's obvious. I said, okay, tell me what you would do. And every single one of them agreed that the first thing they would do if they got an email with a job description and a request to help, they would go out and find candidates. Not one of them suggested they would call the client to discuss the brief. Wow. Let, let alone go and see the client. When I suggested that, there was actually a center of laughter in the room because their whole mindset was speed and price. Yes. Now, if your competitive advantage is speed and price, you're in a slippery slope to recruit in hell and you will work in a commodified world. But instead, world. you could build the relationship and actually differentiate yourself to get There the is business. no differentiator, and the client will, will understand that all you want is job spec, email to him, and you email me some uh, mm-hmm. back. If, if you call the client or connect and say, I'd like to come and take this brief, 
I mean, the starting point for filling a job is taking a great job description in the first place, qualifying the job order. And that is when you're going to bond with your client, when you debate whether you need this degree and you give the client some advice, you tell the client some stories about how you, true stories, about how mm-hmm. you have filled, filled similar jobs and how you, and, so, and then the client gives you time to do a proper job. So you've got to start at the beginning to build a, a, a relationship in which you can impress and deliver. If you start the relationship as a resume-picking service, then that's how you'll be treated ongoing, and the client will dump you for somebody else. In fact, he never, never, he was never with you. You, you were never a partner. You're only ever one of a number of suppliers, and that's the shift that we're going on. So, Greg, uh, I love your your one comment there. Recruiting agencies suck at hiring recruiters. Um, you, you wrote a blog post a few months ago too about how recruiting or recruitment uh, companies often miss an untapped workforce, they're targeting the 25-year-olds who don't know anything versus a mid-career 50- or 60-year-old who's got a wealth of experience and a Rolodex that they could only dream about, and they're refusing to hire them into it. So it's a great blog post. I encourage our listeners to check out that blog post. I chuckled, but partly because it was so true in my experience as well. Uh, Before we go here, you you do have a book coming out um, called The Savage Truth. Why don't you tell us a bit about that book and uh, what you talk about in this book? Yeah, thanks, Tim. Um, I was reluctant. To, uh, people, some people had suggested I should write a book, and I was reluctant to do it because it sounded like hard work. And also, I was unconvinced that anyone would ever read it. But in the end, um, as my 40th anniversary in recruitment is coming around, and it was slow to dawn on me that maybe more of my career is behind me than it's in front of me, I thought there's a lot there. You know, I've I, I built three companies sold several, bought several, ran, ran a business that had 35 offices in 17 countries, been through three or four recessions. There's, there's a lot there. And so um, it starts with re- how I got into recruitment and recruiting skills. Uh, so it defines what I think great recruitment is. Um, it's, ri- it's written in, in a conversational way, like my blogs are. It's not dry at all. It's full of anecdotes. I'm almost always the one looking foolish at the end of those anecdotes, but there are lessons that were learned. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about starting my company with a few of us in a room and how we got it to an IPO and you know listed on the stock exchange. The recessions we went through, expansion, leadership issues. There's a chapter on building brands. Uh, there's, uh, there's a chapter on building your company for exits. Um, and it covers the full gamut because I've had uh, I've had so much opportunity to learn those things. So it's uh, it's available if you go to my blog uh, gregsavage.com.au. There is a tab there that says the Savage Book. You can buy it online, and I hope you're doing big numbers. Well, I'm, I'm excited. To, read it. I'm excited to read it. I'm a professor, so I read enough uh, boring academic research, but it actually be refreshing to read from somebody who's actually been there and done some of these things and. Uh, if if it's written like your blog is, then uh, there's going to be a brutal honesty to it as well. You know, a bit self-depreciating. I actually look forward to reading it. It's going to be entertaining and uh, right. hopefully enlightening as well. Yeah, thank you very I much. Know, I, know, I know I've got one sale in North America then, so that's I can, I can write that You, you do have thank one you. sale in Canada here, so I'll be uh, signing up for that right away. <laughs> Well, once again, thanks so much, Greg. For our listeners out there, if you want to find out a little bit more about Greg Savage and The Savage Truth, visit gregsavage.com.au or just Google The Savage Truth and you'll find it exactly there. 